And here we are back, Rogue Table Talks again, first edition in 2021, episode number 87. Uh, in this new year when everything is going to be great because 2020 is over, nothing <laughs> bad can happen. There was a magic on the calendar. It just flipped over and just magically everything. Magically, the all the bad things. And really, we had a solid five, six days in 2021. It was, it was not bad. Five, six days. I think, you know, <laughs> really I- good. It's a golden era of 2021 was January 1 through January whatever yet. <laughs> I'm going to I've already started making uh, t-shirts bring back 2020. <laughs> bring back 2020. It really yeah. wasn't so bad. Not as bad as we thought it was. <laughs> Not as bad. Really when you look back on it. Uh yes, yes and yes and yes. It's funny cuz I was just saying that. I was just saying uh I was, uh, I was a staff, there was a staff meeting yesterday. I was I was leading a devotion. It's like, you know, we kind of putting our hopes into, you know, all this you know, good riddance to 2020 and all that stuff. And it's not like 2021 is guaranteed to be awesome. And probably <laughs> while I was saying that there was some giant demonstration happening in our nation's capital and people beginning to storm the Capitol building. And, uh, so this, yeah, this we're doing, uh, this is Thursday, the day after that happened. Um, so that I'm sure that will color some of the, the comments of our, our content. Um, but yeah, 2021 off to a great start. Um, uh, you know, uh, it probably, it, it probably shouldn't, you know, probably shouldn't put our hopes in to the calendar changing, right. meaning that we're just, everything's going to be wonderful. Um, so, uh, how was your, you traveled over the holidays? How'd that go? You went to Michigan, right? Yeah, I went to Michigan. Um, it was great. It was uh, snowy, very snowy, had three snowfalls while we were there and, we went sledding we went skiing we took advantage of you know playing out in the snow because we won't see it (laughs) yeah right yeah we don't have any here either so uh it's kind of gray you know the typical typical st louis winter is kind of gray and it's kind of cold and maybe a little snow here or there maybe a little ice and then just more gray and cold and rainy every once in a while the sun you know the sun pops out Right. To taunt, taunt us. <laughs> That's when people go sunbathing. Mock us, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, so uh, we, had a good, uh, we had a good holiday as well. Um, uh, our, our family is well um, uh, and remained uh, not sick, so that's all good. Um, and we are going to look at uh, a passage today where Jesus sends his disciples out and, and uh and uh, it, it occurs in a couple of the uh, synoptic gospels, I think, maybe all of them, Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke. Um, but it's uh, really, you know, here's, he sends them out on this mission, uh, and it's it's probably good for to talk about because I'm not sure if I've I've really understood this passage or um, really thought much about it because I'm not really sure I. Uh, I totally understand how much it applies to our certain situation because uh, it's relatively early in Jesus' ministry and he sends out the, the disciples. And it's Matthew 10. Uh, I'll just read the first, first few verses starting in verse 7 uh, where he sends them out and he says, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. 
You don't get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belt. So no bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. So we'll stop there. Um, so Jesus <clears throat> sends his disciples out and his disciples are, are uh, I mean, we've said relatively clueless, right? At this point, um, mm -hmm. we have discovered, you know, we have over and over again sort of discovered their, um, their lack of getting it, uh, if you will, uh, their lack of understanding. Uh, and yet he sends them out. Uh, he sends them out and uh, tells them to proclaim and to do stuff. It's kind of the two-part thing, right? Proclaim yeah. this message, the kingdom of heaven is coming near, and then do a bunch of stuff that is consistent with the message that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Um, and uh, so let me just, I guess, start the first, first two verses there. Um, so what do we take from that? What can we take from that? What shouldn't we take from that in terms of uh, how does that compare with our mission uh, as believers in our mission uh, as the church? You know, what's, what is that should we do? And what of that is not, is, is maybe unique to the, to, to this particular time. Like yeah, for instance, yeah. verse eight, raise the dead. Right. I haven't, I've never done that. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Never seen anybody with leprosy. Drive out demons. Right. Um, so, like, what do we take, what do we take from that? It, you know, I'm hesitant to say, well, this means nothing. It was a historical thing. It was something that happens according to the Bible. Uh, I think, I think um, that's sort of how I've treated it, honestly. I mean, I don't really believe that, but I think that's sort of, I've just sort of skip over it. Um, what should we be taking from it? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I think to me, there's definitely a situational context. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you. So does that mean pastors shouldn't get paid, you right. know, or they should have a job and then do bivocational, you know, stuff like that. I, I just think uh, clearly this is... Um, for a lot of this is for the disciples for that moment in that mission. And yet, like you said, we don't want to just dismiss it that the heartbeat of it or the principles behind the application still probably uh, apply, like proclaim the message, uh, the gospel message, Christ is on the move. And then to me, when you talk about verse eight, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy. What I tend to, to hear behind that is be you're the bringers of restoration you are mm -hmm. you know these are results of sin and uh they didn't have necessarily the same type of healthcare medical doctors that we do now um and so we have to wrestle with what does us bringing restoration to a fallen and broken world look like and that that still to me carries forth in our mission freely you've received freely give so to me, there's still something here to patch up, patch up brokenness, darkness, bring healing, restoration, reconciliation. Um, I think that's that's working behind this. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you know, that we should proclaim and we should do. Obviously, that is that transfers, um, and we should do stuff 
that uh, corresponds with the proclamation. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Here's a bunch of stuff that will correspond with that message in, in a time, in a place when they have it, maybe they don't, they don't know what that means. <clears throat> uh, and so that we're, you're, you're going to show the power of the kingdom in some outward demonstrable way uh, where we are to show the power of the kingdom in different ways uh, through the fruits of the spirit, you know, through graciousness and forgiveness and transformation and so on. Uh, and, you know, we are to help transform others. We are helped to do good in the world uh, that represents the kingdom, that sort of thing. So I do think that is, um, you know, that transfers. I think, too, um, it is, I, I think, uh, I don't know quite how to say this. You know, it's, it's not just... Um, this is the role for all of us in the church as the church and as individual believers. So, you know, it, it's that we're the church. Part of what it means to be the church is to be sent out into the world on mission. Yeah. And I think that's something that um, we forget. Uh, and as the world grows more hostile and more crazy, uh, you know, the inclination will be to hunker down, to cloister, to not go out, uh, and to not proclaim and uh, display the kingdom to the world around us. Um, and I think that's, I think, you know, one of the, this, I think one of the things Jesus is telling us is these are the, this is, this is what it means to follow me. These are the kind of people you are. Uh, you are to go and proclaim and to do. Uh, proclaim and display the kingdom. And, you know, that's not just for the professional people or not just, you know, that's, that's who we are called to be as God's people. Uh, in other words, we're on mission or we have a mission. Um, and I don't, I, my sense is I don't know that people see themselves necessarily that way uh, in the church uh, or we, it's easy to forget or it's easy to, accept that in an abstract form maybe, but to live out the fact that today, on this day, uh, I am called to proclaim and to display in some fashion the kingdom, to live it out, to be a kingdom person in this world, uh, and to be that together with um, other believers in the church. Uh, so why, why do you think that is? Why do you think maybe we don't see this as central to our life, our daily life, our rhythms, our plans, having, being on mission in our workplace. Well, that's a, yeah. Why do you that's think? That's a good question. Yeah. I think there's a hundred reasons and it probably, you know, different people have different sets of reasons, but in some sense we can resemble the Pharisees that Jesus you know, decried and that we define ourselves by a bunch of other stuff that are secondary and then those secondary things take over. Um, and you know, we are the kind of people who are against this or who don't do that. And that becomes who we are. Cause that's frankly, cause that's easier, uh, to go and proclaim and display the kingdom is hard and, and it's work that's, that leaves us dependent and vulnerable and so on. 
Uh, and so it's just easier to be, we're the people who are, have these, poli- these p- political positions, these cultural stances, that's what defines us. And we're often, def- it's easy to be defined by what we're against uh, instead of being transformed, living transformed. All of that stuff takes supernatural power. I mean, that's, Jesus sends them out with his supernatural power to heal the sick, raise the dead. Yeah. We're called to do different things, but we're called to actually act and be transformed by the supernatural power. I just think it's a lot easier to um, recognize that in sort of a theoretical way or theological way, and then just be defined in other ways that are just way easier, way more comfortable, ways that we're, we feel like we're in control of, uh, you know, ways that make us feel better (laughs) right yeah i don't know what do you think yeah like you said i think there's a hundred different ways to answer this i think there's some you know cultural socio uh factors at play just the fact that we have we are enculturated uh with western mindsets and we live and then grew up in a very affluent um part of the world uh, very very affluent um Mm-hmm. The fact that we have a lot of choices to go into different professions and make a living in that and make more than a living. I think that sometimes it's easy to, um, uh, we, we maybe we're unaware, maybe I'm unaware of how much the uh, lure of comfort and power and wealth uh, have really usurped um, a passion for mission, so to speak where my mission becomes um, the next promotion. How do I climb the ladder? How do I make a platform? Um, I don't know. I think that's probably some somewhere at play. We're not, we don't sense that desperation for mission because we've been in, insulated so much um, and the desire for comfort. And maybe that's just autobiographical, but um, I think that's probably at work. Yeah, I think those are all those things to live comfortably as a Christian in America is something that's available to us and wouldn't have been available to to live comfortably as a follower of Jesus, really, in the culture of the disciples in the first century here. <clears throat> in a lot of other places in the world, to become a Christian means uh, you know it's costing you something. You know it's, it's redefining you in some way. And because Christianity has a cultural uh, foothold or hold or presence, uh, in our culture, that it, it feels like you can live as a Christian and not, uh, you know, not not be defined by God's people and God's mission, yeah. but be defined by a bunch of cultural things that we've come, you know, come to be accustomed to. Um, and I think that's our, you know, that's our unique challenge as American Christians in this in this time. Uh, and I think that's changing. Uh, I think because I think our culture is is changing uh, in different ways. It's you know I I talk about narratives a lot, and I think this is partly you know rather than be defined by this narrative that we are the people who are called out, you know the called out ones, uh, the ecclesia, uh, and then we're the people who are sent out. That God has a mission in the world, and we are the people of that mission. We are His people, His church to, you know, bring, you know, the proclamation and the demonstration of his kingdom to the world, uh, to the people around us. 
rather than be defined by that narrative, we often allow ourselves to be, you know, consciously or unconsciously or passively defined by a bunch of other different narratives. Uh, and those things can become super important to us, super. And I think, you know, what we saw yesterday, you know, was uh, I think probably some of those people storming the Capitol would, would, would uh, be Christians. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, and some of them made appeals to Christianity. Um, and in it, that seems to me to be a contradiction to, to act out a narrative that everything is at stake in this, uh, you know, we have, we must storm the Capitol. That's how much things are at stake. Somehow I, I think if that's me, I have to say I've become captive to a, another narrative that has not displaying the kingdom and bringing healing and power and transformation supernaturally, spiritually to the world. Uh, and I think, sadly, I mean, I think that's where a lot of, uh, a lot of the church in America can be found. Uh, and some of it happens on the right and some of it happens on the left where we're basically, our culture defines ourselves. The narrative of our culture tends to be a political polarizing cultural narrative that this is who defines you. You're either pro-Trump or anti, you're pro-left or pro-right or whatever the case may be. And because our culture has that narrative that predominates, it's easy to forget what narrative should predominate for us. And we sort of fall into that. Um, and I've seen that in a lot of different expressions in the church where, uh, it, you know, I, I think politics is important. I think the election is important but it should not be definitional to us as God's people. And uh, I think if for some people it has become that. So I don't know, that's my little, that's my little rant on that. I don't know. Well, it, it didn't okay. sound very ranty. <laughs> I need a little more anger from you if you're gonna rant it. <laughs> but Well, it's, it's disappointing to me to see a lot of Chris, people I've known for a long time have sort of fallen into the hole of uh, and you see it on social media that this is so important that everything is at stake. And we actually live in a much bigger story than that, where way more is at stake than that. Uh, eternal things are at stake, eternal things that we'll actually answer for as individual Christians and as God's people. And we're neglecting those for this thing that we feel like everything is at stake for. Yeah. Uh, and I just think it's sad uh, and disappointing uh, and it's a distraction from who we are and what we're called to do and be. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, um, uh, you know, and I think you're, you're being gracious and everyone's getting called out and ourselves, we're all getting called out because I just think it's a somewhat of a disappointing state of affairs for the church uh, at this time uh, on the whole, I should say. Um, but for me too, you know, I said there's a hundred ways to answer the question. I think there's another, uh, some people, it's not, it's not necessarily cognitive choices where I'm considering what I'm doing. It's, it's instinctual, it's reactive. And underneath it is probably fueled by fear, uh, a great fear, probably also something to do with, um, this existential angst and 
these these narratives provide some type of satisfaction to what I feel. So instinctually, I feel powerful if I can stand with this group and say these things. And I feel uh, like I have a purpose if I'm fighting for this um Mm-hmm. you know, cause or issue. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the, the thing is that there's not, it, there's truth in those places. That's the challenge is like you're talking about, but it's not ultimate story. It's not ultimate mission. It's penultimate. And it becomes to use another uh, way to say it, it becomes idolatry when we take these things and, and, and our identity and then we place ultimate yeah. value on them you're not alone in that, man. and they never satisfy us. They, they, they hurt. Uh, and that's that, but then we have to keep going to that. Well, we have to keep digging right. in that well because yeah. it doesn't satisfy. Um, but it's a quick fix. And that's, that's where to me, the conversation around power and around God and the divine power, it gets really, really intriguing because to be empowered as someone who is filled with the spirit of Christ, it doesn't, it, it actually does not feel and the experience of that is is almost the opposite of what we're seeing with how people are acting out with power right now. It's a very subdued, restrained, it's almost like a calm, slow flowing river as opposed to this rushing rapids. And this is what power is. And I, I just think we've we've lost the narrative. We've lost what uh, those places of deep soul really are being rooted and grounded in peace. And proclaiming a message of reconciliation, it's it 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 may not feel powerful when uh, when we're saying, can we find common ground? Can we reconcile? Can we rethink? Can we call ourselves out? It feels much more powerful to say, well, this is what that looks like, and I'm on this side, and they're you know all whatever it is, and right's doing it, left's doing it, it you know, it's all in the same. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's well said. I do think that it matters to me less you know if you're on the right or on the left it's that's less definitional to me than how much power you've given that narrative to define you in the sense how idolatrous to use the word and i think that's correct i think that's the correct use of the word you know we don't build idols in our time but we allow other things to serve as idols whether that's image or power or money or you know success or a political narrative uh, that this is all important. This demands my devotion, all my emotional energy and anxiety and uh, attention is, is directed at this narrative. And, you know, I don't, again, I think people, some people might misunderstand and think, well, it's really important. Yeah. The, the idea isn't that it's not important. It's just, we actually, it betrays the fact that I think we're, we've missed what is far more important. Mm-hmm. And it isn't that politics is unimportant. It's just we have a much higher calling, a much bigger narrative, a bigger story that will outlast all of that and for which we will need supernatural transformation and supernatural power to display the kingdom, proclaim the kingdom. And that's actually what we're called to do in this, in this time and this place and it does feel in some ways less powerful to do that because it's less us. It's less, it, you know, we get less, I don't know, less support. It seems from the other, the, the mob on our side, that's going to cheer us on, you know, whichever side that we're going to take politically. Um, 
and I think it's it is a it's a it's a it's evidence that we've somehow missed the point uh, or are missing the point when we are this in, worried about you know if you're a professional politician of course that's different because you're 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 in a different uh, you have a different relationship to it because your your profession is is dedicated to the to working out of politics in our country which is an important profession however even if you are a, prof- a professional politician uh, if you're a believer you're living in a bigger story you have a bigger narrative uh, you have a higher calling that transcends uh, this um, and so that's the uh, what what disappoints me more than what's happening in our country is what it says about what's happening in our church in our churches it almost reminds me of um the passage in Corinthians, I believe, in the beginning that talks about the message of the cross is foolishness. Yeah. Uh, because when, and I'm not saying our context is exactly the same as Corinth uh, and Roman Empire, but there's some similarities, I think, in the sense of, uh, yeah, of course the cross is foolishness because it looks like you're powerless, but it's the real definition of true power is is you lay your power down you go to the cross you sacrifice and that's why it's foolishness because everyone knows the world doesn't work that way except the world actually does in its deepest truest form work that way that death and resurrection is true power and that's why the message of the cross feels very foolish to people um what you're going to invite me to self-sacrifice and to die to self in the middle of what I would define as the most important battle of our, mm-hmm. our lifetime. Right. That's right. foolish. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really good. I think, uh, you know, first Corinthians two, I think that's what you're referring to me to, to here is, uh, at least that's what I, I took. Um, and Paul, you know, he, he has been, uh, and will be sort of powerful and harsh in a sense, in some ways. Uh, but he says in first Corinthians two, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Uh, and I think that's probably illustrates what, would, what it is I'm trying to say or what we're trying to say, that uh, that any outward display of power Paul in effect is avoiding here to come with a demonstration. He comes in weakness and in trembling Mm -hmm. and a demonstration of the spirit's power at the same time. Speaking a message that transcends the story of the age that the rulers of this age did not understand it uh, because it's bigger. And I think that's sometimes what we seems to me that we're forgetting uh, in the church uh, and to, uh, you know, I don't know exactly what the right 
what the right balance is, what the right weighting of the political, uh, because we are citizens in a free society. We're not in the Roman empire. We do have some political responsibility to be and to act. Um, but I, I see Christians around me, uh, that have, uh, placed the, this narrative on t- over and above the bigger narrative, it seems, uh, of the kingdom of proclaiming the kingdom and displaying the kingdom. Um, okay. So, and let me, <clears throat> I think one of the, one of the reasons we pick the, the, the narratives we do, uh, and maybe, you know, drift away from this narrative is that it, I think what comes next in the next couple of verses, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. Uh, you know, in other words, don't pack for everything you'll need. Right. Uh, you know, and, you know, I've, as you said, I've learned, I've heard this used to, to, uh, to say that pastors should be bivocational and they shouldn't be paid by the church. And I've heard it to, you know, say the opposite as well, that, well, what he's telling them is the people you're ministering to should provide for you mm-hmm. in whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. And that person is, is basically they're going in a dependent and open-handed fashion. Uh, they're not taking with them enough food and money for the journey. Uh, they're taking with them only what they need that day. And they're going to go to this town and someone in that town is going to take care of them. Um, and it's sort of, you know, I, I think the purpose there is not, uh, you know, the, 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 the biblical application of that is you shouldn't, you know, walk around with any money in your wallet and you should ask people, you know, for money. I mean, that's not what he's saying. I think this is an illustration of for them in this time, it looked, this is what they, he wanted them to do to demonstrate uh, a spiritual power, to demonstrate dependence, just to demonstrate God's taking care of them as they're going, living in this open-handed fashion, you know, freely you have received, freely give. Uh, so give freely of your life, your time, your attention, your affection, your money. Um, and I think that's, that again, it feels dependent and powerless when it's really a demonstration of a, of a different wisdom and a different power. And I'm not sure we love that always. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think we, I think, you know, I, I want to trust the reserves. Uh, I want to trust what I can securely measure and save and whatever that is. Um, I don't like, you know, the experience of being in need. I don't like the experience of feeling empty. I'd rather feel full. Uh, I don't, I think, and to me, this is the core of the call of, uh, of Jesus to being a disciple, which th- this is relative to the conversation here, as he sends the disciples and us on mission, is he calls us to be dependent people, and our fallen um, will, just, that's the last thing we want. It's just the last thing we want. Um, and I think if we can admit that to me, that's confession of sin. It's not mm-hmm. just, it's not just things I do. It's that I really don't want to, to submit to someone else's, um, authority. Um, ultimately I don't want to submit to God's authority, which means being a dependent person. Mm-hmm. And, 
so I, yeah, I, I really want uh, everything in me wants to uh, rebel against that. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's right, and it's it causes us to, you know, uh, lean away from the, the narrative, uh, this narrative, because it's often uncomfortable and so on. There's a price to it. There's a commitment to it. Um, okay, so as we're uh, coming to probably to the end of our time here, there's a you know. He, he says, Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves in verse 16. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Um, what does that mean? <laughs> I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, so, you know, it's, uh, it's just as in a sense, as we were talking about, don't go out like you're a wolf. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. What, what, do you, what do you take from that? Uh, that, that, that one. <laughs> I, I love that line. I think <laughs> there's probably so many nuances there. It's a whole book. Um, so I don't know. I, I love the contrasts. Sheep are more mm -hmm. uh, vulnerable. They're, the, they're not the predators of anything. <laughs> mm -hmm. They're the prey. So just know that to, to follow Christ um, is to be vulnerable to uh, the wolves, so to speak. And that doesn't mean you don't go out amongst the wolves. You know, what did Paul say? It's just, right. we've been sent out like sheep to slaughter. That's what right. it feels like to be an apostle. Right. So it doesn't mean we don't go out amongst the wolves because this, this next sentence, when you go out, therefore be wise, be shrewd, um, use your noggin, be intelligent, um, be aware of what's going on and also be above reproach, be innocent, um, because people, the world will look to find where they can, uh, discredit you, tear you down, destroy you. Um, those are that, that's a real dynamic that we, um, and not only us, that's a real dynamic that humanity exists in because of sin and evil, but of here, the context of disciples and Christians. Uh, that's that's kind of how I read that. But. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think in general, don't, don't be naive. Don't be surprised that you're uh, like a sheep among wolves. Uh, uh, don't be, you know, don't be naive and Pollyanna, but also don't be then cynical and don't allow the evil of the world to cause you to justify your own evil. So be, you know, be shrewd, but also be innocent. And, you know, your eyes are wide open because the rest, a lot of the rest of the chapter has to do with you're going to be, you know, you'll be handed over to the local councils. You'll be flogged in the synagogues. You'll be brought before the governors. You know, when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say because the spirit will, will be speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and so on. Um, and, it, you know, that, that this living out of the kingdom and proclaiming the kingdom won't always be well received. There'll be opposition. Don't, don't be shocked. Don't come to me and say, Hey, Hey Lord, they're not happy about this. I'm yep. telling you ahead of time. Um, and I do think that's another, you know, it's another reason we don't love the, to live on this narrative, but I do think we have a sort of a transactional or fake prosperity gospel mindset, even though we wouldn't, necessarily believe that but if i'm doing what god's telling me to do things will go well for me that's that's sort of an underlying american understanding of christianity that's hard to get away from even if we know it's not true 
Mm-hmm. That if I'm, listen, I'm doing what God's telling me and bad things are happening. Well, he, here he is saying, I'm sending you out. Yeah. All these things are going to happen. Don't be surprised. I mean, and, and the chapter ends, hey, you know, the student's not above his teacher. They're doing it to me. And they killed me. So don't expect everything to be rosy for you. Uh, and that's, again, I think why other narratives attract us, because this one can be really hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- to me, that's that's really well said. And it goes kind of circle, full circle of why it's hard to be a Christian in the West, uh, because this has to settle in as a as a reality for us. And, uh, you know, when we it's the certainty formula, you could call it. It's uh, it's conventional wisdom, which, again, there's elements of truth in it. Sometimes A plus B does equal blah, blah, blah. But then what happens when it doesn't? That's the, the second half, the unconventional wisdom. The certainty breaks down and you start to realize, OK, maybe I wasn't living by faith. I was living by formula. And now I have to rethink that. And I was doing good things and bad things are happening. Um, I shouldn't be surprised. So, so maybe just to cap with the first sentence there, don't be surprised and don't be sim- don't be a simpleton. Um, this is the reality that we're uh, invited mm-hmm. to lean into. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, I think, and we ought to help one another to proclaim, to live out, to be God's people together, to remind each other of what's true. Uh, and to do it in a, in a, time in a place where it's going to probably become increasingly uh, difficult or there's going to be increasing opposition or increasing misrepresentation uh, of, of who we are. Uh, but that should cause us to be more dependent on him and each other uh, for God's kingdom and God's glory uh, because he will return and you know he his kingdom will ultimately prevail. And it is living in the truth of that narrative that allows us to live well in our current situation. Um, So let's end it there. Let's uh, end it there with that uh, encouragement and that uh, challenge. Uh, And um, as we start this new year, uh, let's be, you know, innocent and shrewd uh, at the same time and uh, be purposeful Uh, and to be powerful in a way that he makes us powerful and not in our own power. Uh, So with that, grace and peace. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.